0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Black Expat Experience, a live show and podcast highlighting the lived experiences of Black expats around the world. I am Kendall Tyson, your host, licensed therapist, and fellow Black expat. And as always, today we have another great episode in store for you today. And I would like for you to welcome our newest guest. Sharon Ehrlich to the show. Hi, Sharon. Hi. Hi there. Good afternoon. Good evening. I am. How so, are you? I'm good. I'm good. The sun is shining. The air is clear. Um, I have another great guest. So I am in really good spirits. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, You know, I was just telling you before we want life that it's very cold where I am, which is in Vienna. Uh, but besides that, um, you know, in the holiday spirit, very much in the holiday spirit. I can only
0: imagine how just beautiful Vienna is right now during the holidays. It is, I don't it is, like it's really pretty. That's Eastern Europe, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I it's the, it's, it's, it's the, it's, it's the uh, uh, easternmost Western European city in Europe.
0: Oh, wow. So right on
1: the border of Eastern Europe, like Czech Republic, Hungary. Okay, like Prague and country. all that.
0: What country is that?
1: I'm in Austria.
0: Okay, that's what it is, Austria. I was going to get it wrong. I was going to say something like Brussels, but then I knew that wasn't it.
1: (laughs) No, it's Austria. It's a very very tiny country of 8 million people. So compared to the city that you live in, this is just kind of like a spot. A a blip
0: on the map, right? (laughs) Um, But Beijing is 21 million, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm from Houston, Texas, and that's literally on par. Besides size of Beijing. So I really wanna give you the opportunity to kind of give us an introduction into who you are. Um, please tell us about yourself.
1: Oh, how much time do you have? Well,
0: <laughs> um, let me start with um,
1: the obvious. So, so I'm Sharon and I am a native New Yorker born and raised, raised in the Bronx. Um, so I am a city person through and through. Um, I am a middle child of a Puerto Rican mother and an Afro-American father, Um, and I identify as Afro-Latina. What else can I say? I'm the mother of an adult child, uh, an adult, 21-year-old, and married for a really long time. Uh, My husband and I have been together for 25 years, Um, and I've been living in Vienna, Austria now for 23 years, so I've been living abroad almost half of my life oh my yeah um, yeah yeah so you know before the internet i moved here before you know smartphones before you know all of these easy possibilities that we have to stay connected with each other um i found my way to europe and you know had to deal with you know all of the challenges it's it's, it's gotten a lot easier let's put it like that um in terms of my education um I have an MBA in, in business management with a specialization in hospital administration. And my first career was as a hospital administrator wow. um, in, in New York City. And I really loved working in, in, in that area and really loved working with the community. Um, but when I moved to Austria, I had to change my careers because I just didn't speak German and there was no chance for me yeah. um, to work in healthcare anymore. Um, and, um, and professionally I've had several reinventions. And so, you know, I think I'm on Sharon Ford O now, you know, <laughs> so I started a career in healthcare and hospital administration, and then I ended up in, in it, um, oh, for a really long time. And then I, um, moved out of sales and moved into sales enablement because I am a teacher at heart and really like teaching and facilitating learning and I consider myself a lifelong learner and um and that's primarily where I focus my energy now is um in that space and I'm also a coach as well you know a sales coach I mean, a professional coach so and and I bake cookies and sell them as well so I mean I'm I'm all over the place I'm everywhere
0: I love it I I just oh my okay so Just to hear you kind of give the 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 rundown of the iteration of your career and the different levels that you've gone through in your life and that you've done most of it abroad. I was I was literally having a conversation with my mother this morning um, Mm -hmm. talking about possibly meeting a mate and living abroad because I love, I love being international, right? Don't get me wrong. I love yeah. the, the U S but it's just something about being an expat living immersed in another culture that really just feels like home to me. Um, and so when I heard you share all of these, you know, developments and growth opportunities in your life, when you've done a lot of it abroad, it gives me a lot of hope. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: it's, it's, it's you know learning. the possibilities are unlimited. It just depends on how resilient you are, um, how open you are to pivoting um and saying yes to opportunity. I think that's you know, one of the one of the fundamental um, elements of of my existence living abroad is looking at everything as an opportunity and understanding where. I fit into those opportunities and how can I expand on them and how can I make them work for me?
0: I love that. So you literally just gave me the title of your episode, um, or at least an iteration of it, looking at everything as an opportunity. Um, I'm curious. Well, I'm going to say I'm curious so many times today. It's, you know, when you think about when you first had the idea, or whose idea was it for? your family to move abroad. I, if I recall correctly, you've been married 25 years and living abroad 23.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay. So I, so I met my husband who is Austrian in New York. So he was working at the same hospital I was working at, but he was there on a two-year visa. Um, and so, you know, there was a time when his visa expired and he had to return to his home country. And he asked me if I would join him. Wow. And I said, sure. And so um, I didn't know that joining him meant we would get married. I thought I would join him just like kind of hang out and have a good time. But yeah. then he asked me to marry him. And so I married him. And so So that's how we came because it was just impossible for him to practice his profession. In, in the United States, he would have had to repeat a lot of his education and he just wasn't open to that idea at sure. all. And so it it just seemed like the right thing to do, uh, you know, with absolutely having no knowledge on how I would make money, if I could ever learn German, if I would ever make friends, how I would, how I would survive being separated from my mother and my sister.
0: What happened? What happened?
1: What
0: happened? Here we go. I lost you. I know I don't know what happened. So this is what <laughs> happened. See, I knew I should have said anything about the internet. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. I don't know if it was my I don't know if it was my side or your I side but I, did, I don't know I, I can edit it out um okay okay um, yeah. but I do recall that you were sharing um when asked to move like how would you be able to withstand just the distance right yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. family um,
1: exactly you know I lived with my mother um until I was 27 years old and so you know it was it was um it wasn't a question of convenience it was a question of economics you know so right. when we pooled our income together it was easier for us all to live together and we didn't own anything we paid rent and it it just made sense and she and she and I always got along very well and you know and I you know I just absolutely adore my mother you know so just the idea you know of moving across the Atlantic and being separated it was just like, wow, how is that going to yeah. work? Um, and phone calls at that time were really prohibitive. You know, the cost yeah. was just outrageous. So it wasn't, you know, I didn't have the kind of access that we have today where you can just WhatsApp somebody or get on Skype or, or FaceTime. You know, things had to be planned. You know, people needed to know, you know, I'm calling you today. You need to pick your phone up because exactly. I don't know when I'll be able to call you again. And yeah, so, you know, the conveniences didn't exist. Nobody even knew that they would ever exist. And so there was um you know, there was a little bit of trepidation about, you know, what that would look like, um, especially um, the idea of being isolated. Um, but you, you
0: work it out,
1: you know, yeah, if you, if you're, if you right. have the character, when really work years. it out, you work
0: it out. Yeah. Right, yeah. You've, you've had to. You know, so one of the things that I noticed in a lot of the conversations that I have is people getting over that hump of leaving family. And when I talk to... Um, folks out in the community friends the one of the especially black people one of the major um, concerns that i hear is oh i don't think i could leave my family for that long or you know i'm gonna miss my friends and things of that nature so i wonder like if you were if you were conversing with a young professional woman that has the opportunity to move abroad to further her career, further her life, expand herself as a person? Like, what would you, sh- what would you share with her? That's not one of the questions, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that you can't get caught up, too caught up in the unknown, Um, you know, how you might feel or how, Difficult it could be to be separated. You, you have to, you know, take the bull by the horns and say, "I want to have an experience, whatever that experience might be, and whatever's motivating you to take that opportunity to move abroad." And and then, you know, it takes a little bit of of planning and and resource management, but saying no because of fear is probably very limiting. And so, you know, I would advise any young person, male, female, or, or other, to say, you know, if you have the chance to do it, do it. It's so enriching. It really adds so many different layers to your life and your existence as a human, that you, you there's nothing that matches living abroad and coming in contact with people from all over the world. You know this yourself. Kindle. And even if you just do it for six months, you know, you, you know, even if it's for, you know, an exchange program,
0: yeah. it
1: will fundamentally change the way that you view yourself in the world and the way you view others. Um, it, it even changes the way you listen to the news. It just changes everything.
0: I agree. I I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I would say that it has been, although there have been some very challenging moments over the last five oh, years yeah. after the it has literally been the, I would say like one of the best experiences, um, most salient experiences of my life um, and will definitely influence the trajectory of the rest of my life personally and professionally. Um, so I always encourage people, take the plunge. It's not as bad yeah. as you think it would be. The fear of, it's always less than the actual thing that you're going to embark upon. So, yeah. For sure. I want to ask you, when you think about one of your most defining moments abroad, I wonder, I'm sure there are plenty, um, what, what would that be? What would those be?
1: Defining moments. Um, I would say in terms of career, um, that, I don't think one can underestimate the impact moving abroad can have on your career if your career is not what's taking you abroad. I mean, there are many people that move abroad because their career takes them there. Um, but in my situation, that was not the case. I had to completely figure out how am I going to do this thing over again? And if you're a person who is completely identifying with your work, and you realize that you cannot do that abroad, that's going to take a lot of adjustment and a lot of self-talk and, you know, and sometimes even um, negotiation with yourself about what you can accept in terms of salary and position, because you're just not going to match it one-to-one when you move. It's just, it's it's not that realistic. I mean, people who have managed to achieve that, I would say, are probably the exception and not the rule. So one of the big, you know, one of the pivotal moments for me was, you know, having this come to Jesus, you know, conversation with myself and saying, you're leaving a middle management role with a career that is on a trajectory going up and basically starting from zero again. You know, we're talking about 1999. You know, so you know the world was different then. (laughs) I was
0: that way in high school.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so it was a big deal. It was an absolute big deal um, to to figure out how I was going to maintain my independence because I've always liked working. I've been working since I was 15 years old. i had absolutely no vision of of being a, a housewife or stay at home person um, that that's just not who i am and so um really being open to the possibilities and saying you know i'm i'm just going to try this and you know the salary is crap but i'm going to do it because i need to make friends i need to have a routine and you know, and believe in the process. You know, yeah. I just really believed in the process that I'm going to go through this and we'll see what the outcome is. I knew the outcome was that I wanted to work. I know that the outcome was that I wanted to have a career, um, but I didn't necessarily say that I had a goal that, well, I want to be a vice president or I want to be a director. I just knew that if I invested the right way and put the right kind of time and energy into what I was doing, I would get to where I needed to be, and I and it worked for me. Mm. It really did.
0: It sounds. But like- there are some
1: <laughs> humiliating moments, I tell you. You know, my, my <laughs> first my first paying job was teaching English. Uh-huh. You know, so I went from earning a six-figure salary in New York to, you know, being paid in shillings. So I guess at the time, you know, my my salary salary was probably about twelve euros or twelve dollars an hour. Oh,
0: you know, wow. I mean that's wow. that's very humbling.
1: That 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 is very humbling. How did you do that? do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I I knew it wouldn't be permanent. I just yeah. It was really important for me to make my own friends. And I knew if I started to work, I would make friends and then I would start to create a network. And so that was that was all I was trying to achieve. It wasn't about the money. Yeah. It was just really just about getting out there, getting into the city, having an office to go to. um and and that didn't last long. You know, I did that for less than six months before yeah. I moved on to to bigger and better <laughs> things. Um, exactly. but yeah, it's very it's very humbling.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I could only imagine. Um, just the level of what? What do I want to say? It just in flux, right? That it must feel like to have made such a huge transition. And I use the word I've been using the word iterations a lot um, mm-hmm. because we develop and we evolve as people. And I just I wonder what do you think has been one of the mindset or tool that's allowed you to evolve in the way that you have to get to this point after 23 years?
1: Mm. Um, I mean, it's, I, I would say flexibility. Um, I'm incredibly sociable. And so I've always put myself out there. Um, And and I have talked about what it is I'm trying to do, because what I've discovered is if you keep things to yourself, nothing moves, right? Because you're the only one who knows what you want to do. And it's everything is in your head. And what I discovered was when I started to be social, because I always was, you know, so I was just looking for opportunities where I could be sociable, but in my own language, because I couldn't speak German um, and start to meet people and say, hey, I'm Sharon and I'm here and, you know, I'm looking for work. And these are the skills because I didn't know what kind of work I could get. So yeah. I, I, you know, I just kind of flipped everything on its head and said, yeah, I've worked in healthcare for X amount of years. And these are the skills that I have developed. You know, I have my education and I have my skills and where are those skills applicable? And so the, this idea that you, you know, are going to stay on this same trajectory all the time, you, you sort of have to break that down a little bit and say, what talents do I have and where can this talent be valuable? Um, and that has that has been, I would say, the single most important that i've relied on to navigate my career is always about the skills that i have and the value that i can bring to any organization and and when you start to reframe your abilities in that way then you can work everywhere right the sky is is basically the limit you can work in any industry you can work in any country providing that you can speak and be understood and understand others Um, and then, you know and 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 sort of lose these hangups or this this inflexibility of working in a particular industry or space um that just kind of opens up the whole world to you
0: yeah i I really appreciate that. You know, a lot of people think that, or I, or at least I've talked to you know people, and they're just like, "Oh, I couldn't do this, or I couldn't go there or live there." Um, because what would I do, you know, for a living? And I think that we're so you said something really important earlier that if your identity is is really wrapped up into the thing that you do, that would that can possibly cause a lot of trepidation and just crisis of, you know life crisis, I would say, you know if if you're really not leaning into what are the transferable skills that I have to be able to make it in any industry if I choose to live anywhere in the world. Because that's actually one of the things that I notice a lot. Um, looking on the expat app, you know, that Shars created um, or just other like messaging boards and sounding boards for expats. I see a lot of industries, you know, tech and um, DEI, things of that nature that would probably never be things that I would have thought that I could do. But when you look at the, when you look at the nitty gritty, the, the daily, what does a job actually entail? There are lots of transferable skills that people don't Absolutely. really know that they could utilize, especially educators. I have, I know a lot of people that are really thinking of taking an early exit from education and they're really nervous about, so, but what can I do, right? I'm just a teacher. And I'm just like, oh my God, you're literally selling yourself oh. short. Like yes. teachers can do literally anything. Um, if you think about all the things that we do on a daily basis or, you know, mental health professionals, thankfully I can do work anywhere. Um, I just want to ask you, I'm just really inspired just by even the, in the short time that we've talked about Mm -hmm. being able to go and thrive in a foreign place and find like your place and grow into the, the woman that. I would imagine you have wanted to be, or maybe even versions of yourself that you never knew were possible. And when you think about, how do you think you have grown as a person, you know, at this stage of your life? When you think about maybe, let me see, I'm 41. Um, When you first moved into who you are now, what do you think are some of the major ways that you've been able to, Develop and mature, um, and get to this stage in life where you are.
1: Yeah. What I what one of the things that has become increasingly important to me, um, as I've matured, is is relationships. Um, you know, I I have a very small family. You know, I have a brother, a sister, my mother, and an aunt. That's my whole family. I don't have any other people than that. And so, you know, I've had to build a chosen family. And these people, and it's not a lot of them, because I don't need, I realize I don't need to have a lot of people in my life that I trust and who have my back. But my chosen family has become so important to me um, that I can hardly imagine thriving anywhere without having people that I can rely on. And I was quite transactional with my friendships when I was in the States. Um, you know, I had friends, but, you know, I always had to work. You know, I, I, I come from very humble beginnings and I didn't, you know, when I was in the university, I didn't have a lot of time to party and to hang out because I had to work and I had yeah. to study. And so, you know, I didn't have, you know, the luxuries or the economic means to to be on spring break and to do a lot of the things that a lot of other people my age were doing. And so I don't have any friends from that time because I didn't build any uh, lasting right. friendships. And so, you know, friendships have become very very important to me. Um and the other part is, you know, I I view my my partnership with my husband. This is a marriage, but this for me is a real partnership. And I think my idea about what it means to be in a partnership has evolved over time. You know, the, the reliance on having someone in your life where we don't, I mean, we're coming from two entirely different cultures. We were raised entirely in two different ways. Um, but we have agreed upon, you know, a way to raise a child together. And we agreed upon the importance of our respective families to us. Um, You know, so that that was never really um, I never really had concrete thoughts or good role models for that, because my 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 uh, nuclear family when I was growing up was not very, I wouldn't say it was a role model for for what partnership looks like. Um, And so, you know, that's something that I didn't have an idea. I didn't have any good examples of it. And, uh, you know, over the course of my own marriage. And my own partnership with my husband, that has also changed a lot as well. Um, so I would say that those those are two areas that, you know, over the course of 23 years, I can see a real shift in my thinking about my need, um, my investment, because I mean, it is an investment in relationships, whether they're friendships or otherwise, um, and, and the importance that those folks play in, in me being who I am.
0: I love it. I love it. I, I love the agreements. We're making these agreements to live life on, on our own terms, right? And mm-hmm. carve out the kind of life that is going to meet the needs that we have in order to be fully functioning um, and actualized individuals. Um, and just the the importance of partnership. And one of the things that does come up a lot in my conversations is like that, that concept of chosen family that you spoke about and when you think of the importance of community with your ability to thrive in Vienna for Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to get it wrong 23 years yeah yeah yeah. what is well like what were some of the things what were some of the non-negotiables that came into play when it comes to Choosing the people to allow into your life uh, and to take, you know, root um, as part of your chosen family.
1: The non-negotiables. Um, well, you know, I think I was really fortunate in that I was able to bring my family, my real family, to Vienna to be with me at certain times in my life. Um, i wouldn't say it was a non-negotiable but it was really important and again as 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 a couple we decided that it was something that was worth doing you know so when when my son was small when i was pregnant with my son my sister came and she stayed one year oh, yeah. um, with us here in vienna to help with me because you know i still didn't have a lot of deep friendships then yeah. um and and um You know, that there are expenses associated with that. You know, you you have to get papers free. People just can't live wherever they want to live. So that needs to be (laughs) right. My my mother lived in Vienna for 10 years and we went through all of the rigors to get her a visa. Um, It was not easy. My husband had to sponsor her. Um, You know, so my situation is very, very unique in that I had my own people here with me at different stages, yeah. um, and 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 that really helped make me feel very whole having them. Now I, don't, you know, now I just have my my husband and my son. My mother has gone back. My sister went back many many years ago. Um, so that was something that was important that we were able to make happen. And I know that that's not a reality in a lot of countries. And actually, that's not a reality in Austria today because the immigration laws have changed everything is completely different everybody is anti everything these days and so it's not easy to make those kinds of things happen but of course as you know with american passports in those times that was something that could be facilitated because people do not understand the strength of an american passport i mean it's just you know if there's a passport food chain we're at the top top. of it absolutely yeah. uh, irrespective of what our skin color looks like exactly. this passport opens doors and people uh, i think people underestimate that so yeah. that's one thing uh the other thing is you know in terms of my friendships uh, you know i i think that For me, friendships are about, it's not about 50-50. I call you today, and now you're going to call me next week. You know, we need each other at different times of our lives. And when when I've been at low points, my friends have really been present. They have been front and center. And when they have had difficult times, I've been there for them. And, you know, and it's always changing, you know. It's just like, and, and, um, you know, so for me, there has been a real, I would say, a real support and not in expectation that, you know, we're kind of weighing how much one is contributing to the other, because that's not the way any relationship is. We, I, I, you know, I might need you more now um, at this time of my life. And and maybe then we don't speak for six months for whatever reason, because I'm busy and you have your head down doing your work or whatever. And so, you know, I, the people who are in my life, we all appreciate that's the role that we play for one another. And so it makes the friendships very very healthy, um, and sometimes we're seeing each other all the time, and sometimes we have breaks. Sometimes we have forced breaks because of you know like pandemics and things like oh, that. God, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I would say that you know the the, the friendships have are, are really. I think that the one way to describe them is generosity. We've all been very generous to one another.
0: I love that generosity, it makes me think about kind of the hoops that you have to go through in order to sustain a a quality, you know, non-transactional type of friendship. It makes Mm -hmm. me think like recently my best friend just got married um, and I was um, a maid of honor and it was all virtual. Like I Mm -hmm. I obviously couldn't be there. We can't travel back to the U.S. and get back into China and things like that. Mm having to do like a wedding toast virtually or mm-hmm. um seeing um she recently had my nephew in, in in October um just being able to see him or even with like my nieces sometimes it uh, sometimes it's really hard um because life goes on and yeah. it's yes. sometimes I I notice there's a lot of weighing the cost of this decision that I've made for myself as far as living abroad. And yeah. I can only imagine like the type of life changes and things that have occurred for you and your friends as you've been abroad for the amount of time that you have. But I think it is so interesting that your mom has lived there for, that your mom was there for 10 years and your sister yeah. there for my mother would uh, I love my mom, but she would drive me crazy if she was here. <laughs> Beijing.
1: Well, you know, I have to tell you that my mother had her own apartment. She she wouldn't be able to live in the same place that I'm living because we would have killed each other. Hold on one God. second. I have to plug my laptop in. I just realized I'm running out of power here.
0: Um thank goodness for the edit feature.
1: Yeah, sorry about that. Oh no, you're fine. there I go yeah I mean when you talk about cost th- this is something that's also really important I cannot tell you how many funerals I've missed um yeah. and you know in our culture you know funerals are really important um but you you just can't get on planes when you, you when you work and and you know and and People are planning funerals within a couple of days of 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 somebody expiring. You can't right. get the time off from work. You know, there are all these factors. You have a kid at home. You don't have child care. You know, so there are costs. Um, and and you and I have missed a lot of things in the states just because of access, and you know, airline tickets not being the right price at the right oh, time. Good. And um, That's what yeah, and, and some of the yeah, and some of them have been really you know some of these 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 costs have been heartbreaking you know not being able to be someplace when you needed to be there um and uh and, and there's really nothing you can do about it you know you try to you rationalize it one way or the other and it's sad yeah. and you know and and you know you can't have guilt about it you know you you just try to you understand that there are also limits you know when you put yourself that far away from your people um you know your reaction time if you know your in-person reaction time just isn't there it's, yeah. it's just not there right
0: it makes me think of when I first moved to Beijing in August my chinaversary what we call it is august <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> i love it august the 7th um 2018 and <clears throat> january of the tw- of the next year 2019 i went home for christmas uh or was it chinese new year i don't even remember but my grandfather was sick uh we knew that he would likely pass away soon so i'm grateful that i was able to see him and as soon as i made it back to beijing he passed away like a week later. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, And that was it's a tough. very difficult moment. And, and look, I had a coworker, you know, that just felt compelled to pay for my ticket to go back home. Otherwise I wouldn't have been able to afford um, to get back to the U.S. And I was, it makes me really, you know, grateful for, again, established connection and relationship and people really stepping outside of themselves to support you. Um, especially being, you know, an expat um, in the communities that we're in. I kind of want to center on community for just a few more minutes and then we'll definitely dive right into mental health. Um, I know that just, you know, personal experience, being an expat is one thing, but being a Black expat is another. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) that tells me a lot. I'm just really (laughs) curious about, you know, your experience being an Afro-Latina woman um, mm-hmm. in Vienna 23 years ago and just how, like, you've been able to transition, you know, culture-wise and things like that as a as a Black individual, a Latina individual living in Austria, no, Vienna, which I imagine doesn't have a ton of melanated people. Um, yeah, that's right. Please, please enlighten me on how that's been for you.
1: Well, you know the 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 experiences have. I like to think of it as a, you know as a spectrum. You know, and that's so true. you know the 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 spectrum has included, you know, you know on one side of the spectrum is the outright racism.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: walking into shops and people telling you, "Please leave. You can't afford to buy anything here." I oh that my
0: god! Was- Are you kidding yeah. me?
1: You know, and the other side of the spectrum being that people don't even notice me um, and that I'm, you know, a black woman right um you know and then everything in between and so i mean there, there, there are lots of things i can say i don't want to, i don't i don't like to relive trauma because I you know am. it's i mean there are just some things that are really triggering if i start to to speak about them they i you know that the yeah, same emotion that i had you know when it happened sometimes it, you know it comes back in full force but what i can say is this um you know austria has its history let's not forget the role that this country played in in the the second world war and people um are not very open to foreigners of any stripes wow. and you could imagine um you know when there was an influx of people coming from Syria in 2015 it really resurfaced some of the um behavior and some of the the, the thinking of of people as it relates to to foreigners who are not white because yeah. you know the behavior is completely different now when we have ukrainians coming across the border uh who are white yeah. you know so so and this is a country that is i guess more than 90% uh, ethnic Austrian people, you know, so okay. it's not, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, or at least in this city, it's not like living in London or in Paris where you would see more people that look like right. us. Um, so so racism is real. Um I think that there is also um you know I I I come out on the winning side of that because you know if I speak German, people immediately recognize from my accent that I am American. So I'm already put into a different box than if I would speak with some sort of an African accent, right? I'm treated completely differently. My skin color is not that dark. So the amount of racism that I've experienced is a lot different than racism that my friends who have browner skin have experienced. Right. Um, I, you know, I have a mixed race child. And so I had to, you know, have a conversation with my husband before this child was even born to explain to him, we have to protect him. Um, He, you know, everybody will think he's (laughs) small, but he might be seen as a threat as he gets older. And my husband, he refused to believe that because he said, well, no, he comes from a good family. His father's a doctor. His mother's an executive. And I said, no, that's not the way it works. No, That's not the way it works. And you know what? My son has a car and he gets pulled over all the time for no for yeah. no moving violations at all. He gets comes pulled over. There. I mean, I don't have the, the same fear that I would have if he were in the States being pulled over because I know that that has real serious implications Um, but nevertheless you know I was really saddened when he said oh mommy the police they pull me over all the time and because the the registration is in his father's name they see that his father is a medical doctor, and then say, "Oh, your father's a professor," and then you know they kind of let him go. Yeah. Um, and I just think, what well, you know if if he didn't have this registration, what would happen then? You know, what right. would they would they give him a rough time? Uh, you know, so so it's it, it's real. Um, on the other hand, I can also tell you that my color has worked to my advantage um, because I'm always the exotic person. I'm the one who walks into the room and people say, oh, I mean, maybe not so much these days because there are more people that look like me in Vienna, but I can yeah. tell you, you know, when I first moved here, you know, and I'm very tall. I'm five I'm five feet, 10 inches. Oh, you are though. You know, if, yeah, I'm really tall. And then if I wear a three-inch heel, I'm way over six feet tall, right? And so if I walk into a room, people notice me Um, and, and therefore there's, you know, either positive or negative attention. It depends how that works. And I don't even want to talk about corporate and how that manifests itself. (laughs) I get (laughs) it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, I don't want to get into that discussion, but what I, what I can say is it's real.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think oftentimes i've been a little bit slow on the uptake to understand are they treating me like this because of my color are they treating me like this because they're jerks you know and and my default is always to say no actually it's because of my color and you know i don't know if that's hypersensitivity or you know sometimes it's real sometimes it's imagined but i mean if you have enough experiences you start to to feel that way Mm -hmm. um one of the things that I think we all do as a defense mechanism, you know, when we go to behaviors that we, I had in the States, I still carry with me here, you know, if I go to the shop, I always ask for the receipt for something right, because I never want to be accused of, of stealing, stealing something, uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy, <laughs> but you know, this behavior that I had from the state, I, I still had it here, although nobody has ever accused me of stealing anything here, so you take a lot of that baggage that you had from the state, and you bring it along with you, and so I have some of that baggage with me, um, and I don't necessarily, you know, I don't think it serves me well, but I still have it. Let's just
0: put it like that. I hear you. I still have it. Yeah. I hear you. It's, I, I would imagine like just dealing with certain types of race-based, you know, traumatic stress, it will not even imagine, I do know, that it, it is difficult to let go, you know, to, to untether ourselves from those particular experiences, yeah, but, it is. you know, looking at each situation for what it is on its own without being flooded with all the things that have happened over your lifespan it's not an easy feat um it isn't and i don't know many people that have to even consider having to do that right um trying not to be overwhelmed and overcome by what you've experienced when you enter a similar situation and i just wonder how does it how does you know the possibility of reliving situations or being reminded of something and really having to steal yourself so that you can just be present and be your most authentic self in the spaces that you find yourself in in vienna what what does that look like for you to really be grounded and rooted in nope right now i'm good it's not anything that i've encountered before and i'm going to show up as my full self yeah
1: That's really hard for me to answer because honestly speaking, I, I cannot say that I'm confronted with racism every single day I just don't think that I am. Um, And so you know, I think it would be disingenuous for me to talk about how much of an influence that has on my life on a daily basis because I just don't experience it right. on a daily basis. Um, I'm I'm in. You know, I've been working remotely before remotely was a thing. You know, so I've been doing that for a long time. I've worked for you know American companies, work for a Russian company, work for a French company. So you know, I've I've had different sort of experiences in in and and that sort of space, um, and I'm not really I, I I really try not to carry that around with me, because I think it's counterproductive and um, honestly speaking. If I go down that path, I think I start to become a very, very angry or, yeah, I, I won't say angry, but you know, I start to have a lot of distrust. And I prefer to, I really prefer to give everyone the benefit of the doubt in the space that I'm moving in, right? I mean, if people show themselves You know, to be who they really are. Right. I don't look at that with rose colored glasses and I will call (laughs) it as, you know, what it is. Right. Right. But I I try to move in a space where I'm just saying, you know, this is how I'm existing in this world that I'm in. Most of the people are really cool with who I am. And every once in a while, there's going to be an asshole you know yeah. and that's and, and I like to consider them the yeah. accession rather than the rule yeah. um, but I also think that I live in a bubble I live in a very privileged sort of existence here in Vienna and maybe um, if I didn't live in that sort of existence things would be different for me so I I mean I really want to be really open about that that it's not something that I'm experiencing every day and it's not something that's on my mind every single day it's on my mind now because my son is going to the United States for Christmas I'm Mm -hmm. worried about him because he might be driving my aunt's car that's worrying me more than him and I and how we're moving around in, in our space here in Vienna
0: yeah yeah, that's that's very valid and very fair. Um, and I'm actually really happy that that's not, that those particular situations aren't things that you're constantly bombarded with. Because um, it's a lot. It, it's a lot to contend with and to still show up and be happy and be your full self and be engaged and not feel like you're guarded all the time. It's very different here in Beijing. <laughs> but... Um, yeah um i hope that your son has an amazing time when he goes home for the holidays and that you too have a great time and not be overly worried and consumed but as a parent i can imagine that's kind of like the constant state of just hoping things are always going to turn out right or or in a good way um I kind of want to,
1: and shift. nobody nobody will appreciate that he's a mixed race boy. He's just when he's there, he's a black man, right? Yeah, yeah he's exactly. He's black man, and so that's what worries me, uh, particularly when, he's, right. when he'll be driving. You know?
0: Yeah, well, hopefully, again, none of I, I hope that it is as drama free as it can be, and that he has an awesome from your mouth
1: to God's ears. ears.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I kind of want to shift, you know listening to just the fascinating story that you shared thus far and how you really just grown into the woman that you are abroad, I can only imagine how just the transitions that you've experienced have impacted your mental health. Um, And I, I first would like to know when you think about the 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 term mental health like what what comes to mind when you think about that word those words
1: mental health um well I have a lot of strong opinions about mental health because um people in my family have suffered from various degrees of of mental stress or mental instability. And so I've experienced that and have seen it firsthand. Um, when I think of mental health, for me this is your well-being, your ability to be able to to cope on a daily basis with what's thrown at you, um, to not always be in your head ruminating about things real and imagined that yeah. prohibit you from living your life and experiencing your life to the fullest. Um, so that's, that's how I view mental, mental health, at least this, this term, what it means to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Um, and when you think about, you know, you shared that you have some family members that have personal experiences with mental health challenges. Um, Mm -hmm. I just wish more people were honest about that. That's kind of like the impetus for me doing this show is for people to normalize, normalize the fact that everyone at some point or other in their life will have about with some sort of mental health challenge right. it's a spectrum there'll be varying degrees of what that looks like for everybody but as a mm-hmm. community for us to be a lot more open about what we experience so that the stigma isn't still so strong cuz it's so strong um yeah, it, is. it makes me think about something that just recently happened there was um uh, a famous performer out here uh or in america uh, a young black man i'm I'm 41 he's 40 uh he was I know this story I'm very which, familiar with it yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. and just yeah. all the, tragic. the oh, oh my god like tragic, tragic just the outpouring of uh, which I'm glad the outpouring of sympathy and things but just recognizing that we have people in our communities that are suffering in silence on a daily basis and some that, you know, choose, you know, the ultimate way of handling a situation or that don't have the appropriate resources to support themselves. And what I'd like to know is for you, what do you think? I don't even know. Like, I know the question that I want to ask. I feel like I'm in my head about it, but Moving moving to Vienna when you did, can you share with us any types of ways, whatever you're comfortable with, that you feel like your mental health was impacted, be that positively or mm-hmm. jarred a little? Like, what, what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, I I can recall two very specific experiences but they didn't have anything to do with Vienna but I was living in Vienna when they had okay so so the first one was um what while, while my mother was here she moved here and she was completely healthy she had a massive stroke
0: oh wow um, and wow.
1: she became uh, paralyzed and you had speech impairment and she needed care and so I was caring for her wow. and working and taking care of my son at the same time. My son was very young and was Oh, wow. Eight, nine years old, um, trying to be married, you know, and and trying to do all of those things at the same time. And um, it was horrible. Mm. It was really horrible. There are millions and millions of people out there who are caretakers of, of unwell people or disabled people. And, I don't think that we really appreciate how much mental strain and physical strain, but how much mental strain goes into taking care of disabled um, or elderly parents. And this situation was bringing me to my knees. And I didn't realize it because I'm an asthmatic. I've been an asthmatic for as long as I can remember. (laughs) I thought that I was having problems breathing and went to the emergency room twice but it turned out I was having panic attacks.
0: Oh, wow. You know, it
1: felt like, a, you know, an elephant was sitting on top of my chest. And it they were panic attacks. And this wow. was all started because of this situation that I was living through with my mother. And, you know, on the surface, when people were asking me how I was, I was, you know, you, you know, us American people, oh, I'm fine. I'm great. You know, with a big old smile and never revealing to anybody what was going on. Um, because it was private and because I didn't want to burden anyone. I didn't even tell my husband to the extent that I was suffering with this whole thing and we were living in the same home. So I was basically keeping this a secret. Um, but then I couldn't keep it a secret anymore because it was just becoming too much for me. And I thought, you know, I was sitting at the edge of the bed one day thinking I'm going crazy. I mean, I really felt like I, it was the first time that I felt like I could not manage myself. And it was a very, very difficult time. And it goes back to something that I said earlier, I wasn't asking anyone to help me. I didn't tell anybody, I was kind of powering through. I don't know why I was trying to be so stoic and power through it. And, and the moment that I started to understand that I needed help and some of that help would come from family and some of it would have to be paid support because I mean, I could not burden you know, a nine-year-old boy with trying to take care of his grandmother, right? Um, and when I started to sort of let some of these things go, that's when I started to feel like I had a little bit more control. Uh, But up until that point, I was sinking and I was sinking really fast. And it was a, it was a very dark and difficult time. And again, you know, keeping things to myself was not helping me in any way at all, but I just simply you know, it, it went on for so long. There was a point where I just simply didn't know how to talk about it because exactly. it was just so silent and everything was so unspoken.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I Thank you for sharing that. First of all, I know that's, I don't know anything, but I can, I can feel just how much and how heavy, um, that particular experience had to be, um, I'm wondering when you think of when you look back, back, back at this, at that point in your life, in hindsight, Mm -hmm. what do you think you needed then to be able to, I don't know if it's, if it's bravery or just bite the bullet and say it, what do you think you needed, you know, in those moments to kind of help you to reveal what was actually happening for you? I I think, most of it had to
1: do with my, my ego, I would mm-hmm. say I'm a person who is very controlled, a person who always has it together, um, who knows how to manage and juggle multiple things at the same time. And this was completely contrary to that persona, right. And so it, it was really hard for me to to articulate, what was going on because it was not me that was not my character you know I was like she always has it all together all the time she's always so calm and she never cries and she's she you know she's so rational and I was irrational and I was you know I was trying to do things that were there were not enough hours in the day to get everything done and I was putting myself on this such pressure and holding myself up to a standard that is nobody could could manage that standard. Um, so so that was the issue. And so what I should have done very early on was to recognize this cannot be managed with the resources that I have available to me. Something has to give. That's the first thing. The second thing was, you know, my mother also had a lot of influence over how I was handling things, because she didn't want anyone to help. She didn't want anyone in her home. She didn't want any. And and I was capitulating to everything she said. But meanwhile, you know, the burden was on my shoulders. And there was a certain point where I told her, listen, lady, I need to pay somebody. And I should have said that a long time ago you know, before, and I didn't do it, you know, so I was also letting her, you know, I was trying to, to let her have the dignity that I felt that she needed as an adult, who had just lost a lot, she had become dependent. So she was fully independent, and then she had become dependent. And I understood that this was difficult for her. But what she didn't understand was that it was difficult for me. Because every all of the burden was on me to then pick up all the slack where she couldn't do things, and so looking back on it, I would you know take me by the shoulders and say, Sharon, you need to get it together and understand that resources need to be applied immediately, or you know, and of course managing resources is is also stressful, yeah. right? But at least you have these others, you know. Th- it's a different kind of stress mm-hmm. when you start to outsource some things. Um, so that's probably how I would have handled it differently. But I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And it took it me is. a real long time to get with the program. But I mean, and the only reason I got with the program was because I started to realize that I was unwell and I was not feeling well and I was... I was starting to become very short Um, I don't have a temper but I started to realize that you know I was even becoming abrupt with my own child Mm -hmm. um, which I had never done you know so I was seeing that manifest itself in ways that I didn't like because it was not how I handle myself with people yeah and it was really it was the scary it was not a good time it was not a good time at all
0: I imagine that, you know, again, thank you for your candor um, and sharing that experience. It's it's something else to be able to set boundaries with the people that we love um, and strike that balance of, I, I really appreciate how you sharing that you wanted your mom to be able to heal with a dignity that, you know, she deserved. But then it's also on the flip side, recognizing that, doing all of this is really to my own detriment. So what's the middle ground? Um, And I often find when working with people that are caregivers, uh, family members, it's a very difficult bridge to gap, gap to bridge. um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to how do I, how do you take care of yourself to the best of your ability, while also assuming the caregiver yeah. role to these people that you care about, it's that's very a lot to contend yeah. with. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I consider myself
1: very lucky because it's one of one thing that you can get here, which is really affordable. You can mm-hmm. get people to help you. If I had been experiencing that in the states, I'm not sure I would have been able to afford what I. You know, the, 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 you know, the stop get measures that I put in place. I don't think I would have been able to afford it uh, oh and God. here. I could afford it. And so, you know, you know, I always tell people, you know, I'm not happy that my mother had a stroke, but I'm glad that she had a stroke here in Austria, because she had health care, she was completely insured um, we could pay for her to have a companion. And, it, you know, it didn't put us into financial ruin. And so there were some advantages that, you know, being here afforded me. And I don't think I would have had those same advantages if this would
0: have happened when we
1: were in New York City.
0: Yeah, I I, I hear you. You know, when you're sharing that, it makes me think about, when you, when you think about, the types of supports that you were able to receive to kind of imp- to improve your level of mental wellness and functioning. Mm-hmm. Again, you share whatever you're comfortable with. What What did that look like for you personally? And what is the what does that system of mental health care look like in Vienna?
1: Well, I I did not take any advantage of of, of mental health professional. Uh, for me, getting my time back was more important than anything else and so I was trying to find ways that I could have you know I started small I said I just need a half hour where I could just sit down and have a coffee and not you know be accountable to anyone or to anything Um, if I had decided that (laughs) I wanted to seek The support of a healthcare professional, a a mental health professional, I would have had to pay for that myself. Mm. Um, It's not incredibly expensive compared to what you know. I'm always comparing everything to what I would have paid in the states, and so I would have paid a a, a doctor's visit, which probably would have cost me anywhere from ninety to two hundred euros per visit. You know, that's what I would have had to do, but I didn't do it. i decided that i would get a personal trainer instead and go to the fitness center and work out and and just try to get some movement and try to get strong and and feel good about my 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 physical being so i mean that's the path that i took but if i would have gone the mental health path i i would have been able to afford it um i say that i wouldn't have gotten any support from the government only because if I would have, you know, then declared, you know, that I need mental health support or whatever, I would have had a very limited amount of professionals to choose from. And, you know, because I mean, there are, you know, there are mental health professionals that are covered by healthcare, but then you're limited, you know, there's a limited supply of them. And if, I would want to choose who I want to choose. And then that means I would have had to pay out of pocket. So, totally so that's how it works. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's available here, but I didn't take advantage of it for
0: myself. Yeah, but what I am glad is that you got active. Like when we, when I'm working with clients and things, four of the things that we try to assess immediately is sleep, exercise, eating, and hydration. And exercise is one of, I won't say, well, it, it, it can be free, but depending on what you want to do with it, one of the most beneficial ways to come out of a slump. So I'm glad that you took the route that you took to help yourself in the way that you felt was most important, right. Or, or most effective. Um, yeah. when you think about, I just have a few more questions, like all of this to me sounds like an exercise and vulnerability, I mean, from moving to another country and really just exposing yourself to a different culture and really having to acclimate and find yourself in that to caring for a loved one, you know, recognizing that there's a little bit of personal faltering in doing so much. And I'm wondering what your thoughts on vulnerability as a strength are.
1: Oh, I think I think it's absolutely essential. Um, what, what I have discovered in my personal and professional life is that when you expose yourself authentically, it's it, it doesn't have, it doesn't happen as a risk to yourself. You know, it's, it's not that all of a sudden that you're seen as the, the weakling, um, I have found in my case that it's people have appreciated what I've said to them. I mean, you know, when I was going through a lot of this strain with my mom, I had a team that was reporting to me and I told them, you know, once I got it together in my own head, then I had to tell them, listen, folks. I am not available to do this because, you know, I'm taking care of my mom and I have this. And and they started to understand, you know, they would schedule things and say, Sharon, we scheduled this at this time, but is it going to work out with your mom's schedule? You know, so they understood. And so, you know, every I did not see that showing that side of myself as a person who, you know, not only had this additional responsibility, but who had some challenges managing it. I didn't keep it to myself. I found that it was, it was not only appreciated because I was not showing myself as this picture-perfect lady who has it all together, um, but it also allowed people to also share with me because they said, well, you know, sh- she told me about what's going on. You know, I'll show you, I'll show you yours because you showed me mine. Basically, <laughs> kind of thinking, right? Exactly. Um, which, you know, which in terms of being a leader, that worked out for me very well with my teams. Um, in terms of my friends, as I told you before, um, nobody saw this as anything strange because i mean some of them were already out there and wearing their you know all their whole lives on their shirt sleeves right um, but they understood and they could appreciate that you know if i was telling them that i needed something that i really needed it right um, because i wasn't always coming you know all the time you know so they, so they so they got it i think uh, being vulnerable is um is something that a lot of us have to learn because we're we are taught in many instances Um, particularly when you're working in the, in the corporate space that, you know, if, if you show yourself, your true authentic self, that this can be a liability for you. And, you know, if you spend enough decades behaving that way, that becomes your behavior, that becomes who you are. And, and so I can tell you in my instance, I had to, to learn how to be vulnerable. I had to learn how to articulate things and nothing bad happened you know nothing bad happened you know the world you know, people didn't come after me nobody leveraged that against me <laughs> to try to you know get more or get ahead or, or whatever um and it makes it easier just to move through life because you you don't always have these walls up you know, keeping the walls up that that's exhausting. It is absolutely tiring. exhausting.
0: Yeah. It really is. Thank you for offering that sage, you know, wisdom. I I I really would like to know, knowing what you know now, you know, let's just say when you were back at my age, 40, 40, I'm not 40, 41, what would you tell yourself who you are now, the woman that you are now, the mother, the wife the executive that you are now, what mm-hmm. type of advice would you have given yourself as you were moving through life um at that stage?
1: I would give myself the advice not to focus so much on on the the outcome. I mean you you need to know which direction you're moving in, but you cannot be married to a very specific outcome and so you know what you want becomes your north star and you do what needs to happen but you get more involved in the process as opposed to the goal because when you focus on the process on the things that you need to do now in this moment today you have so much more satisfaction and there were many moments in my life where I was just looking at the goal, you know, I want to I want to have this position or I want to do that thing. Um and that can only lead to disappointment because you're chasing things and those, you know, that those things are moving further and further away. And you can never be satisfied with what you have at this moment. Yeah. And so that's what I would tell myself. Enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. You know, I brutalized myself for not speaking German well because and I could never enjoy it because I was always so focused on let's be perfect my German after all these years still isn't perfect but you know what now I just don't care anymore I just you know I can be understood and I understand everybody and guess what my German has gotten so much better since I released (laughs) myself from this pressure of having to speak C1 German I just don't I don't look at it. I don't want to take that test. I don't care. I just want to talk now, right? And I want to be able to write an email now. That's what I would tell myself. And this would just take so much of a burden off of, you know, chasing things and really allow me to have lived in the moment and enjoy the things that I was doing.
0: I love that. Living in the moment. Um, Thank you for that. It just... It really reiterates something that my mom said this morning about the process. And it's 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 funny because these are things that I tell clients all the time. It's not about the the end point. It's literally the growth that's happening throughout exactly. you know, the journey. Um, but it's it's so different. It hits different, even though you know it. But then you hear it reiterated it from someone else. It's kind of like the thing with parents. You keep telling your child this, but then a stranger can say it, and just like, oh, yes, I it. know. <laughs> well, I know, I I would love to know. Like our my last uh, two questions, I'd say. When you think about the advancement of mental health, you know, in our in our respective communities, um, mm-hmm. what was that? What what are what are a few specifics that you'd like to see improved upon
1: accessibility mm. i still i still believe that accessibility is an issue although you know you you see all over social media if you feel like you're going to commit suicide call this number i, I don't think that's enough i think you have to meet people where they live you know, wherever they are, accessibility is a topic. When people think I can't afford that, you know, if that's part of the calculus for seeking out help, that's a problem, right? That's, that's, I think that's a huge problem. The other thing is, when it comes to issues of mental health, we somehow, when it comes to, to men, I think that men are completely you know and i don't know if it has to do with you know patriarchy misogynistic thinking whatever machoese i i believe that men have more issues than anybody cares to talk about and they don't seek out help because of whatever the reasons are and so there needs to be more focus on on men understanding that it's okay for you not to be okay and that you need to to get yeah. help and seek out help uh i think that's that's another topic that is really important and of course now that we are i don't know if we're living in a post pandemic world yet um but it, you know at least we have these two years behind us i think there are a lot of people out there who are in a very very difficult stage now do yeah. the The idea of remote working, although on surface sounds really great, and everybody has the aspiration that they want to work from home. There is a level of isolation to that that nobody ever considers. And if you are home all the time with no contact with people, physical contact with people, this cannot be good for anyone and and so organizations have to they have to make some accommodations to to ensure that their employees are well and i don't know what that looks like because i'm not an expert but yeah. you know you, you you can't have you know you say that we're not going to pay for commercial rent anymore everybody's going to work from home while we're saving a lot of money well actually you might be saving money on paying for rent but now you have a lot of mental cases working for you because these people are home they, when they look at their laptops they're triggered because they know that the laptop means work and stress so your home is not even your sanctuary anymore there has to be some way to accommodate so that people are well yeah. under those sort of circumstances and it, it, there probably is not enough research done yet because we're so You know, this whole thing is so nascent, um, but there definitely has to be some change and some investment on how to support people who are remote workers as well. Yeah,
0: I agree with that. You know, it's um, glamorized a lot. Completely. Working from anywhere in the world, which I know with my profession, I can do. But there's this, there is this through line, like you said, of isolation, And maybe, you know, we don't go to work to find friends and things like that. But I would imagine that for someone to stay psychologically well, especially when it comes to remote working, you need to have a very strong support system outside of your work structure that allows Mm -hmm. you to have that face time and that physical touch and that connection um, to other people. That way, again, you're not alone all the time because we're not built to be we're not built to no. be in isolation. We're social
1: creatures. I, I mean, and and just
0: being, yeah.
1: So anyway, that, that, that that's my two cents on
0: that. <laughs> Thank you. So last question. You've done this thing for your life. You've you've moved abroad. You know, you have a completely, it sounds like thriving life in Vienna, family, career. I'm wondering, what are you what are you most proud of? Hmm.
1: What am I most proud of? I love that um, <laughs> <who are you? laughs> yeah, i don't know that's that's not something i think about um you know i i i'm proud that i, I raised what a, a well-balanced young person who i think will contribute to society in some way he's a he's a nice young man he's he's a I mean, I'm still calling him a boy. He's a good boy. <laughs> I mean, he's 21 years old. Be a he's boy. A good person. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's a really good, decent person. And and I love him to a bit. So I would say that that's I, I'm the most proud of of having raised with my husband naturally. I didn't do it alone and, and with the community, you know, with my mom and my sister and my mother-in-law. We raised a really nice human. Uh so I'm particularly proud of that. And the other thing that I, I don't know if pride is the right word, but I certainly am impressed with my ability to reinvent myself. And and I'm not afraid of do-overs. You know, yeah. that that doesn't scare me. If I know, if I'm unhappy, if I'm disenchanted with the industry or with the people, I don't have an issue with stepping out and trying something new. I just don't. I'm not afraid of it. I've, I've, I haven't, I've, since I've moved here, I know that I don't have to be afraid of it. And I've done it so many times now. Um, it's just a question of, you know, when is the next version of, of sharing going to happen? Is it, you know, this year, next year, the year after that? And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid of of updates and version changes. Yeah, I think it's enriching. You know, as I said before, I'm a lifelong learner. I don't mind learning something new. I don't mind and I don't have any fear about applying new things that I've learned. And I don't have any hesitation of talking about myself and positioning myself in a different way. You know, I was a healthcare professional. I was a sales manager. I am an enablement person. I am a coach, you know, and that it doesn't, you know, I'm not stuck and I'm not married to any of those things. I do that now and maybe five years from now I'll do something different. And that's also okay with me.
0: I love it. I just keep hearing reinvention, lean into the reinvention, Um, lean into the unknown and like tap into the gifts that have gotten you this far. That's literally like the umbrella that I see your wisdom being shared under. And I think it is hella brave, honestly. Um, and such, so inspiring. Um, ah, I really appreciate you sharing uh, just so many pieces of wisdom and nuggets and important aspects of your life, you know, with us on the show today, I've learned so much and my brain has really been, there's been something that's been sparked in my mind from this conversation about,
1: Oh, I'm happy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it happens a lot, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Just, just soaking in what you're saying about not being afraid. Like I, I love to learn. But my anxiety can be so crippling sometimes with the need to um, be perfect and get it right and the, for the world not to see the falter, which I know logically is part of the process. But just right. to hear you sharing what you're sharing, it kind of just hits home that it's okay, right? It, that's part of the, the process. Um, that's part of being human. And I pride myself on really wanting to have an authentic version that I'm showing to the world, especially as a mental health professional, because there's nothing that perfection does not exist. Um, So just to hear you sharing the things that you shared, I'm really grateful for your honesty Um, and just for us being able to make this happen, honestly. um, Well, please tell us, I don't know if you do social or any of that, but. If you share your journey with the world, you know, what is something that you're currently trying to put out into the world and how can we follow your, your journey?
1: Well, I, I have to say that I'm probably one of the few guests you have that isn't all over social media. So actually, you can only find me on LinkedIn. Okay, um, I have I, ha- I have an Instagram account, but I never use it. Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn, um, and I'm posting fairly regularly about mostly about you know things that have occurred or or, or things I've observed with you know through my coaching of people and um, and life experiences. It's a lot of observational stuff. I, I, I'm never the one to talk about a product and buy this, or, you know, I'm, I'm not that person. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Otherwise, um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, basically. That's what you call well, me.
0: Yeah. I'll definitely follow you on LinkedIn. Um, I feel like I'm building my own community of expats and guests, you know, just a wealth of knowledge from everyone. So I'm really grateful for you taking the time to talk to us. And I want to just share with everyone out there. Um, thank you once again for tuning into the Black Expat experience. We gave you another amazing episode with another, you know, amazing guest. I encourage everyone to keep taking risks, keep impacting your communities, making sure above all that you're prioritizing your mental health and that you are seeking the help that's available to you. Um, Please share this in your communities and we continue to look forward to offering you quality content and more impactful people uh, as we show the world that Black people thrive and live abundantly everywhere and that our mental health is our priority. So thank you. And with that, I am going to say bye. Thank you, Sharon.
1: Thank you very much. It was my pleasure.